Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. Time for the message. Summary stuff, part two. Well loved forsakers. I'll talk about that. And we're looking at a lot of verses today. Psalm 22, because that's the verse that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the the death of Jesus where he says this. Luke 23 goes on. And then John 21, um, verses 12 to 15. Um, at the end. So, uh, our first text is from Psalm 22. This is the entire psalm. To the leader, a psalm of David. Um, Excuse me. Oh, yeah, to a leader, according to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who seek me mock at me, they make their mouths at me, they shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you've been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a, rav- like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me, a company of evildoers encircle me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. To him, indeed, all who shall sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Psalm 22. Now Matthew chapter 25, verses 
excuse me, Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 56. This is on Good Friday. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three o'clock in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. And at once, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And after his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those who were with him, who were keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, truly this man was God's son. Many women were also there, looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And now Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 49. This is Luke's um, description of the death of Jesus. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. When all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts, but all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from a Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. And now John 21, verses 12 to 15. This is after the resurrection. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. When um, I was at, not at seminary as a student, but when I was at seminary, um, by, when I was teaching there, I had the privilege of having a professor come in from Pennsylvania, Esther Meek. She's a philosopher, and she taught our students Christian philosophy and how to think and how to know certain things. <clears throat> and Esther often talked about what's called tacit knowledge. Have you all heard that phrase before, tacit knowledge? Um, tacit knowledge is this beautiful thing where all of us know more than we can say. 
Don't you know certain things, but you just don't know how to say it? But you know it. And then every once in a while it comes out like, oh, I can, now I knew how to say it, but I know it. I know certain things. So there's a tacit knowledge that, that all of us have on the occasion when we have an experience with God. Let me ask you about if you've ever experienced in a very personal way that God cares for you and that God loves you. When you had that experience and you, know, and you realize, oh, I love you back. It's like God says, good morning, I love you, kid. And you say, I love you, pop. Hey, wow, we have a relationship. This is pretty cool. I didn't know that was real. That's so good. Thank you, God. That's how it happens with people and God. God lets us know that he loves us, and we let God know that we love him. Now, if you've had that experience, there's a tacit knowledge you have. And the knowledge is this. You think, I've just begun to love God, but I wonder how, God, how long God has loved me. And we know that God didn't just say, hey, it's Tuesday at 5 o'clock. I'm going to tell Marty I love him right now. I'm thinking about him. That's the first time that ever happened to me. God doesn't work that way. The tacit knowledge you have is that when you say, God, I love you back, don't you say, oh, you've been there the whole time. You, you've always been, I, I didn't, now I know, you've been there. I didn't really realize it. But didn't you have that knowledge? Like somehow God's been there with you? That's the tacit knowledge I'm talking about, that God has always loved you. And the one who just began to love God was you, not the other way around. And then you feel bad about it. And God says, I don't, okay, well then say you're sorry and get on with it. Just keep loving me and repent and just say you're sorry. So that tacit knowledge is that God has always loved you. Now, one of the things I want you to know is that that tacit knowledge is actually biblical. That God the Father has always loved creation. God the Father is not late in loving creation. God the Father was not convinced by Jesus to love humanity. He's always loved humanity. And what I wanted to say last week is like, where was God when Jesus was saving us from our sins? Well, God was in Christ. The Father was with him. The Father was with him. He wasn't above him. He wasn't against him. He was with him. I mentioned that last week. But then you, you think, okay, Mark, that, I get that. But you also say Jesus is God, and on the cross, Jesus said something very, very loud. If he said, if God is with him, then why did Jesus say, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's God. So we don't know who to believe. You are God. I, I understand. I understand. So I wanted to look into that verse today. Like, that's true. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I want to remind you of something. In Jesus' day, we're going to look at Psalm 22. It's a Psalm of David. By the way, haven't you ever prayed that way? Haven't you ever felt like... Um, Lord, you could have done something, but you didn't. You didn't help me. So uh, I'm going to grade you on your job today. F, failing, losing day for God. Bad day for God. You didn't do your job. Because I felt like you left me alone. I felt forsaken. Haven't you felt that way? I have. I have as an adult. I have as a pastor. Isn't it good to know, and we'll get to the stuff about Jesus in a second, that it's actually found in holy scripture, that we can complain to God that way? This is a prayer of David. It's in the scripture where God says, it's okay to pray to me starting with this. You did a bad job today, God. Where were you? I was completely abandoned by people. People were making fun of me. 
No one came to my aid. That's how the psalm begins. But how does the psalm end? Uh, I know I said that, but you were with me. You were with me. You're right. I'm sorry. But I still, don't, I still felt like you abandoned me. So I think it's good on a practical level that we can pray that way. One thing you have to know is that in Jesus' day, there were no numbers in the Bible. There was no Psalm 22. There, was no, there were no you know, Exodus 10, uh, Deuteronomy 6. There was none of that. All those kind of famous, we can, no Genesis 3. It was just Genesis. It was just Psalms. Now, there's 150 Psalms, but then how do you know what Psalm you're going to talk about? You say the first line of the psalm. So when Jesus is on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus is actually saying is this. Psalm 22. Because as I read that psalm, couldn't you tell that it was about Jesus, not just about David? The psalmist says, my God, my God, where are you? I am being forsaken. There are people that are, that are dividing my clothes. I'm being encircled. People are mocking me and spitting at me. Who does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like Jesus on the cross? But it also says in that psalm, you never turned your face from me. You are with me. I feel forsaken, but I know deep down I'm not. I know deep down that you're with me. But I really feel like I'm forsaken. And so Jesus wants us to reference the whole psalm. That's why it's there. Now, the last thing Jesus said on the cross, too, is this. There are seven sayings that Jesus said on the cross. You need all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to get all seven. But the very last thing Jesus said, because in Matthew, where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Matthew says, and then he breathed his last. That's Matthew's way of saying, he said a few more words, and then he died. But Luke tells us the last thing that Jesus said. What's the last thing that Jesus said? Father, into your hand I commend my spirit. How can Jesus commend himself to the Father if the Father is not with him? The Father was with him. He was with him the whole time. So, in a sense, Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross. In a sense, he was not. Let's look in the sense in which he was not. He wasn't separated from God physically. God did not divide from God. God did not come against God. God was not separated from God. But in this sense, the Father allowed Jesus to die this way. The Father knew that we would treat his Son this way, and he allowed it. And he did nothing to stop the violence that we did against his Son. In that sense, he was abandoned. Jesus said, I will die. I will come to my own, and my own won't receive me. And the Father said, yep, that's right, Son, they're not going to receive you. They're not going to receive you at all. And so, in a sense, Jesus was abandoned into our care. And that's how we took care of him. 
uh, the reason I'm putting it this way is that I've, I've, I've gone through something I've learned about myself. And I'm learning about God. And it's both good news and it's um, kind of frightening for me. I'm learning how, how easy it is for me to inflict violence on people. And it scares me. I think it's part of the original sin. And it's not original just to Adam. It's, everyone's really good at it. I have my own original way of doing it. You have your own original way. And there's, there's four ways you can do violence, you know. I've mentioned this. You can do violence by physically hurting somebody. When you physically do damage to someone, that's, that's violence, isn't it? There's also violence when you do something verbally or in today's social media, something written. Any words, words, verbal and auditory words to people or written words can be violent. We can also do violence by just turning our back on people. Casting them out. And then the most insidious kind of violence is when we just do nothing. When people are hurting. We act as though we don't even see it. That's what David's talking about in Psalm 22. I am treated with violence and nobody is helping me. That kind of violence really, really sticks. That's the kind of stuff that comes out in counseling usually when, when adults will say things like, this happened to me and my brother was there and he did nothing to help me. And how are you with your brother? We have a broken relationship. Well, I can see that now. Why? He did nothing. Well, did he contribute in the violence? Well, not directly. He just did nothing when bad things were happening to me. That hurts, doesn't it? That's violent. And I realize, wow, I can do that so easily. Now, here's the violence I'm talking about. Um, when we get mad, when we feel like David in Psalm 22, when we get mad, we have conflict on the inside, and we've got to get rid of it. So what we often do is find someone on the outside to be the receiver of my conflict, but I can't make them innocent. They have to be guilty. And if they're guilty, then I feel okay yelling at them. I'll give you an example. I was driving this week. A young kid in a truck did what Dallas drivers do. Risked his life to hit the egg, to make, make sure he got the off-ramp right in front of me. I screamed at the top of my lungs. What are you doing? So notice what I called him in my head. He's an idiot. He's guilty of idiocy. He's, he is king idiocy, and I can vent all my on him. And I feel better. Because I had conflict. And I didn't, and I thought later on, I thought, here's what I wasn't gonna say. You straight A student at Sunset High School? Oh, I can't say that. You kid that loves your grandmother? Oh, no, that makes him good. He has to be idiot. I have conflict. I have conflict, and I've got to blame. He can't be innocent. He must be guilty. He is guilty, and I just crucified him. 
Oh, and the relief and the peace that came over me. It's almost religious. It is religious. That's the addiction. That's what we do. That's our addiction. That's the human race. That's all of us. And it's like a religious feeling. In fact, you know, where two or three are gathered, a fourth person is being talked about, and it ain't good. Because <laughs> what do you do? How does that work? You guys know how that works. You're in a group of people. You're in a group of people. I don't know if we like them. We don't know if we like each other. How do we know? Who's not here? Oh, yeah. How about look at that guy? Look at that clown. Ha, 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 ha. And we all get connected. It's so interesting that when we talk about someone, it has this religious, it actually relieves our guilt, and it binds us together. It's called sacred violence. And we're so addicted to it. Did you know that when Jesus died, if you just looked at it from like, like studying, if we're like Martians studying this, here's a guy that did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. In fact, when, when, when um, I call that predatory peace, by the way. The peace that I get by blaming someone else, I'm like a predator. And then the peace comes to me. But it's kind of like a sugar hit. It works for about 10 minutes, and then, like Nike says about peanut M&Ms, try to eat just one. You, you have to have 10. You can't eat one. When you do one act of predatory peace, it's like, oh, that felt so good. I had to do that again. i got to find the next idiot. Hey, bike rider idiot, what are you doing? For, and it's, oh, that's, that's good. We're addicted to it. We're addicted to predatory peace, and we think it's okay. That's original sin. That's what Adam did to Eve. That's what Cain did to Abel. That's what we do. Original sin is not that far away, by the way, and we're very good at it. So let's not blame Adam. Let's, let's, this is all in us. We do it just as good. But on the cross, think about Jesus. He's an innocent guy. He did nothing wrong. But the whole city was being stirred up. On Palm Sunday, everybody loved him. Praise you, praise you, love you, love you, praise you, praise you. And in one week, there's all kinds of conflict with people. All kinds of conflict with people. Who's going to take the conflict away? Where two or three are gathered, a fourth person is thrown under the bus. Let's throw Jesus under the bus. So the religious leaders and the political leaders got together and they conspired together to kill an innocent man. And peace broke out in the whole city. You know why? Because he was their scapegoat. But this one was not guilty. He was not an idiot. Even the Roman soldier said he's innocent. What is Jesus doing on the cross? He's exposing our addiction to sacred violence. And he's not guilty. We are. So when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is in solidarity with the human race. Because from the very beginning, that's what we've been saying to God. God, you don't care about me. Since you don't care about me, I can do whatever I want. All of us say, God, you don't care. I can do whatever I want. And what I love about Jesus is that he knows this about us. And he loves us. He loves us. And he's not going to let us get away with it anymore. He's just not going to let us get away with it anymore. He's going to put an end to sacred violence. Because we love it so much. And he's going to show us how ugly it is. It's ugly when you do it to an innocent person. Because then you can't justify it anymore. It's really funny, when I called that guy an idiot, the first thing I thought was, hey Mark, next time scream, hey you straight A student, I can't do it. Because then, you know why? I'm crucifying an innocent person. And that makes me bad. And I don't want to, so I have to be justified by calling him an idiot. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world exposes our addiction to violence. And if we don't believe it, God came to earth and lived for 33 years. He had a collection of 12 of his best friends. And on the day that all hell breaks loose on him, these guys that all said, we love you, we will never leave you, what did they do to stop the violence? What did his best friends do? They're just like you and me. And the strongest was Peter. Well, Peter cut off an ear of one guy trying to stop Jesus right before this. But on the day he was crucified, I don't know him. Oh, no, no, I'm not with him. Oh, he's a loser. Three times. He was caught up in the crowd of making fun. You know, it's really hard to throw the first stone. It's so easy to throw the tenth. Have you noticed that? It's really hard to cast the first stone. But once that first stone is cast, oh, it's easy. And then peace came over them. Because they were caught up in the sacred violence, like the rest of them. Peter was. See, sacred violence works until it, it, it doesn't. And what do we do with sacred violence when it happens to us? Well, we want payback. I mean, all, all the best movies, like the best Christmas movie, Die Hard, is all based upon that, right? We want, we want John Cain to get that guy. We want him. He's a bad guy. Oh, has a bad German accent. He's got bad hair. He's got bad, he's bad, bad, bad. We want to get that bad guy. John Cain didn't do it. And the one guy, yeah, he finally got it at the end. Yes, because we like it. We like payback. We like vengeance. Can you imagine Jesus' best friends the day after they killed him? They must have felt horrible. And then they see him on Sunday night. They're in a room, it says in the Gospel account of John. They locked the door, because John says, because they were afraid of the religious people. They were afraid of the religious people? I think they're afraid of Jesus, because Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. They're afraid of him. I would be, wouldn't you? You participated in the death of your best friend? <laughs> then you realize, uh-oh, he didn't? He's coming back? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, this can't be. He walks into the room, and he says to them, peace. Hello there, peace. You're not going to do vengeance? No, 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 no. I'm going to say it to you again, peace. And then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And then they realized, oh, my gosh. He's exposing our sacred violence. And he took that to the cross. And then he took it all the way down to hell. And he didn't just punish that sin. You know, I hear people talk about that. Like, sin needs to be punished. No, no, that's not far enough. It needs to be destroyed. You want God to punish the sin in you? I don't want God to punish the sin in me. I want him to destroy it. I want him to destroy this urge, not just punish it. Don't keep it in a room and just keep smacking it down like whack-a-mole. I want it out. I want it destroyed. And Jesus does that for us. On the cross, he takes our sin of loving, our addiction to violence, and he sucks it in and takes it into that tomb all the way down to hell and destroys it. And he rises up the third day with the keys of death and hell and says, peace be to you. 
and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And he said, you guys have been forsaking me a long time. I'm God. I give you life and breath and all things, and I've always loved you. And I get closer and closer and closer to you, and you keep pushing me away. And you keep pushing me away. And I don't know why you keep pushing me away, because I love you. But I know being a friend with God makes you weird. I'm sorry, but I'm God, and you're human, and I want to be your friend. And God gets close, 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 and then when he finally comes, we kill him. And Jesus said, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what he's doing? He's saying, in a way, hey, brothers and sisters, fellow forsakers, I'm with you. I'm with you. This is what you do. I know everything about you, and I love you, and I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to take care of this, and I'm not just going to punish this sin, I'm going to destroy it. And he does. He does. And once you experience that, once you see it, original sin doesn't look that far back. It looks real close. And you realize, oh, wow, Lord. I thought you liked violence. It's me that loves the violence. And I talked about it as though it was yours. Oh, I'm so sorry. You've, yeah, you got me. We're all well-loved forsakers. Isn't that good news? I think about Peter. Oh, and we, look, we make fun. I don't want to make fun of Peter because Peter, I think, was the strongest apostle. We, make, we know sometimes pastors would say, well, if Peter were like, a, you know, Peter would be like, kind of like a Will Ferrell Peter, you know, like, like a goofy guy that says stupid things like, just a big comedian that just bumbling things is stupid. He's not stupid. He's a business owner. He's a fisherman. He's a very charismatic guy. And you know what? He really loves Jesus. And he really does love Jesus from the heart. But when that crowd turned against Jesus and became violent, Jesus' best friend got caught up with it. You know what I've learned, everybody? And this is something my oldest daughter taught my wife and I. Um, groups of people make very bad decisions. Really good people when they get together in groups, may do something really stupid to you. <coughs> Excuse me. You've got to forgive them. Groups make bad decisions. That group made a bad decision, and Peter got caught up. Oh, he must have felt terrible. <coughs> Excuse me. And what I, what I, want, I, I want to experience what Peter did. That, that whole time that he was forsaking Jesus, um, Jesus never stopped loving him. Oh, thanks, Nikes. I think He's a well-loved forsaker. And you and I are well-loved forsakers. Thank you. I know we're not supposed to drink. In Luke's gospel earlier, in, um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, and he was in the garden, and he was getting beat up, and Peter went outside um, because his best friend was getting beat up, was about to be killed, and Peter realized, I've got to get away from him. And he was warming his hands by the fire, Luke tells us, and the little girl was there and says, hey, I can tell by your accent. You, 
that you're from, not, you're from Galilee. Are you with Jesus? And you said, no, I'm not with that guy. And then he cussed, I'm not with that guy. And then Luke points out that, that Jesus came outside, beaten, and he looked right at Peter. And Peter ran away. Oh, I think about that. What do you think Peter was thinking at that moment? He was probably thinking, you must hate me. Because I hate me. What was Jesus thinking about Peter? I love you, buddy, and I'm not going to let you go. Peter, look at me. I know you're doing this to me. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not letting go of you. You forsake me. I'm not going to forsake you. I don't forsake people. That's what you do. I won't leave you. How do we know that? Because we just read in John 21, a week later, when Jesus saw Peter, Peter ran to the shore, Jesus ate fish, and Marianne's youth pastor, who liked to eat, I remember when I was a young guy in college, he would say, oh, that's my favorite Bible verse, because that means we're going to have food in heaven, because Jesus had his resurrected body, and he's eating fish and bread, that means we get to eat. And he was not joking, he went off like on a 10-minute sermon about eating in heaven. Larry Rice, I'll never forget, like, man, that guy likes to eat, and he's so glad in the age to come, it's not like we're just nourished by some sort of magic dust or something, and we get to eat, so, but it is kind of interesting, isn't it, we get to eat. I'm with Larry on that, but here's the deal. Jesus simply looks at Peter, the forsaker, and says, Peter, do you love me? He says, oh, I, of course I do. He says, good, you still got your job. Go feed my sheep. Holy cow. The biggest forsaker. And Jesus says to the rest of the players on the field, this guy's still on the team. He's batting first, by the way. Go get him, Peter. Come on, man. I love you. He's a well-loved forsaker. The way that God deals with our violence is not by creating more violence. He actually grabs us and says, stop it. I know your game. I'm going to take your violence and I'm going to nail it to myself and bury it. It's now destroyed. You will now forgive and love people. That's what raises the dead. Because all violence gets is the next act of violence. When has violence actually ended anything? When have you ever said, oh, I'm so glad there was a big bunch of violence because that solved the problem? Woo! We think it does. That's how we end fights with people that we love. Yell at it! And then we bring up something in the past that they did and we yell it! And then the room goes quiet. Why? Because we think, oh, good. I dropped a nuclear bomb. I brought up 1994 back in Omaha. And I was never supposed to do that. But yeah, I did. 1994 Omaha. Oh, yeah. Win. Winner. Winner here. Loser there. Ah, oh, the peace that happens. For how long? Till the next act of violence. Right? So why do we think God ends violence with violence? He doesn't. He doesn't end violence with violence. He exposes our violence and says, I forgive you. Stop it. This man was innocent. The innocent one took away the sins of the world. Not the guilty one. We're the ones who are guilty. And sometimes in church, so what, you think, why, why are you going on with this? I don't want you to think that God is, was against Jesus when Jesus died for us. God was for Jesus. God was for us. We, as a human race, we're against him. 
And He still keeps coming for us. Because He can't quit us. He loves us. He won't let us go. We're all well-loved forsakers. Think about how the kingdom comes. We prayed this morning, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Feed us today our daily bread. Oh, and forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. How does the kingdom come? Forgive me, God, as I forgive. That's what raises the dead. That's what ends the war. When people treat us with violence, we forgive them as we've been forgiven. That's the resurrection recipe right there. Not more violence. We're well-loved forsakers. And we got an addiction, people. It's deep. Let's not blame Adam for our own original sin. We all have our own recipe for wreaking havoc, of blaming others and crucifying them. We're so, I'm good at it, you're good at it, but it's what nailed Jesus to the cross. And he says, I'm going to expose this to you guys because this has to go. This is not what creates peace. It creates a problem. So in our families, what do we do? In our relationships, what do we do? Well, we put ourselves in Peter's place. Listen for Jesus. Jesus saying to us, do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course we love you. Good. I've always loved you. I've always loved you, and I'll never let you go. Now, go spread a little sunshine. Go forgive. Go forgive somebody. Be forgiven. Be forgiven. Go forgive. You're well-loved forsakers, and you're not even forsakers anymore. You're my kids. And I destroyed that thing. And um, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and you can do this. See, the gospel really is good news, that God is for us. So when we say that God is with you and for you, we really mean it. And what if, what if we forsake God again? Oh, believe me, you will and I will. But when we let go of God and forsake him, he never lets go of us. We're like this right now. I love you, Lord, and he loves us, but then sometimes we let go and we forsake. But who always hangs on? Who never lets us go? God, and we say, God, forgive me, and he forgives, and we just go back on and hang on to him just like that. And that's how we live. That's life. He's never going to let go of us. He loves us. But he's going to change us. And he's going to give us no relief from our addiction. Because it's bad. And we like it. And it's not good for us. And we know it. So, let's let him crucify it. And let's forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray. Lord, you're good, and we know that we forsake you at times, and we know that you even cried on the cross that you were forsaken, and in a way, Lord, you, you were abandoned to our hands, and that's how we treated you. Uh, but you exposed that, and now that we see it, we don't want to do that anymore. We're so grateful that you love us and that you forgive us, and that you really like us, too. And you know this about us, and you're not surprised. So help us not Treat these things um, as though they're, they're small. Help us realize how big these things are and how big your Holy Spirit is to change us. So Lord, help us um, forgive others as you have forgiven us.
all that we have done. And we're so grateful that you love us and that you like us. We pray in your name. Amen.